Hello, hello. Uh, we've got a super exciting episode for you today. I have an amazing guest, Jude Dons, a mindset coach. And we're going to talk about how to have a really impactful, powerful, unshakable, unbreakable mindset. And we're going to cover a lot of really exciting things. But before we start, Jude, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. So great Aww. to have you here. Thank you for having me. I feel like this has been a long time coming. We booked it in back in August and then I lost my voice and I had to reschedule and now it's it's October and I don't even know when this will go out but it's October right now when we're recording it. Yes amazing well welcome to the podcast and thank you. Our listeners could you please introduce yourself tell us a little about what you do and who you do it for. Absolutely yes yeah. so I my name's Jude um I have an academy where I train people to become unbreakable mindset coaches. So it's life coaching, but with the unbreakable mindset framework on top of that. So they will be certified and accredited coaches um, going out and starting their own businesses. I am 42. I am based in Newcastle, although I work with people all over the world. And we've got right now, I think we've got about 40 students, active students in the academy. Um, and again, they're from all over as well. So again, it's the beauty of the world that we're in, isn't it? That we can be based anywhere and work with anyone and everyone all over the world. <laughs> Amazing, amazing, amazing. And what a great topic for us to kind of dive deeper into today, because I know for so many people listening, actually, it's interesting. I think when people start, a lot of our listeners, of course, entrepreneurs, they run their own businesses, they're mm. coaches, experts, consultants. And I think a lot of times when people start their business, they focus on strategy, they kind of learn what to do the steps, but there comes a point in everyone's business journey especially what I'm seeing is that there becomes this moment where perhaps you know what to do but something's getting in a way for you actually showing up the way you know you can kind of fulfilling mm -hmm. your potential really working is why is it I'm not being consistent when I know I should be why is it I don't you know I'm maybe fearful of something for no particular reason so maybe let's dive start there what do you see that's holding people back when it comes to their mindset what do you see kind of the key challenges the blockages that people experience and you probably have people on talking about this but everything is from childhood isn't it everything stems from that childhood blueprint whatever you were conditioned to think whatever came up for you you know one of the biggest things that held me back in in my previous career in my mindset the thing that caused my deep-rooted depression and I had some dark times early on in my life was the fact that I felt like I wasn't good enough the fact like that I felt like I wasn't smart enough now that didn't come from conditioning like no I, I you know I had a two loving parents it wasn't like they were going around going juju thick or anything like that. But my interpretation, my little view on the world, and we normally build our beliefs on the world by the time we're, we're six or seven, that's it. Unless somebody actually does the work with you to question it, that's it. That's your belief on the world. And my belief was I was the thick one in the family. And I can't tell you how that, that came upon me. I can give you little glimpses into the fact that, you know, my sister was deemed the smarter one. She was very quiet. She was the one that read books. I hated reading. I'd never picked up a book. I was more, I wasn't wild. I definitely wasn't wild because, you know, my family were quite strict. I wasn't wild, but I was the chatty one. I was the one who was, you know, probably a bit silly with my friends and things like that. And then 
what, as soon as you have an ingrained belief, you just start looking for evidence. It's true. Whether you're right or wrong, because you know what we're really good at? Manipulation. <laughs> Manipulating evidence, whatever that looks like. So as soon as I got into, I don't know, year six. So this is when they're preparing you for secondary school. I started to notice I'm not on the same table as my friends anymore. Like they've got their own table. I'm on the table with people who I've not, I've not really been friends with throughout school. And then I realized they were doing different work to me. So I now know, or I've manipulated evidence to say it's because you're on the thick table. Nobody said it was the thick table. Like I just had that in my head. Like they're doing work that I'm not doing. It's because I'm thick. And you just take that with you. So as soon as I went into to secondary school, I had severe depression, which was never diagnosed because I'm, I mean, we're, we're talking, I'm 42 now. So at that age, you don't, you don't diagnose kids with it. Thank God there's a recognition over that now in terms of, you know, kids struggle with their own mindset, but it wasn't then. And and then if you don't do the work to unpack it, which nobody did, because even back then that the therapy that you have, you know, by the time I was 15, I was on antidepressants. I was seeing various counselors and, and things, but nobody does the work that a coach does. So that all the coaches who are listening, your job is so transformational. Like that is why I became a coach because the difference it made to me, it was huge. The fact that not only was I saying I didn't feel like I was good enough at my job at that point when I found a coach, but somebody made us question that. Whereas I think when you go to see somebody for anxiety and depression, you're looking at the pain. You're not looking at why you feel like that. So if you go and see a therapist, they're giving you tools on how to help you with anxiety, how to help you manage a panic attack. And, and you know, and, and plus I'd went through a really, you know, stage of incredible grief when um, my fiance at the time, I'm in a trigger warning for anyone listening, um, commit suicide from his depression. But even then I'm just dealing with the pain. So I felt like any therapy I'd had in my early twenties was just dealing with the pain, not why I felt like that. Obviously with the, uh, granted with the, the grief and you have to go through grief, but anything before that and after that, that was discussed around my depression or my stress or my anxiety, it was solutions for that rather than why it had started. And that's huge. So if we go back to pew, your original question, which I feel like I went off track from. No, no, that's no, good. It's good. Your original question was, why do people get in their own way, essentially? And it's to do with something else. It'll be, due to, it'll be to do with something deep-rooted. And, you know, one of the brilliant things is, is we have muscle memory. One of the worst things is, is we have muscle memory because it brings back things, right? It brings Love back that. stuff that we don't want. Uh, and we just have to be aware when we're triggered by it. We just have to be aware when it's coming up. So if there's something painful for you right now, why is it coming up? What's your block? Where does it come from? Because there's nothing that you can't figure out. There's nothing that you can't problem solve. But if you're hiding from the discomfort, which is what we tend to do, because as humans, we want to avoid discomfort. So rather than addressing why we feel uncomfortable we just plow on through and hope we'll overcome it and then what happens is is we start to feel overwhelmed we start to procrastinate the thing that we were meant to be focusing on feels even bigger it's like the big ugly thing in the room that we're so frightened of 
Or the alternative is, is that we're doing it and forcing ourselves to do it, but it's not getting any easier. And if you bring those two things in and you come back to the center of it, it's like, what is the block? What's coming up for you? Is it your old self-belief system that says you're the thick one, right? And I'm saying that to me. That's what comes up from me. Like, you know, I I got asked to do some coaching for a, a reality TV show, right? And I've done this... I've done the work on myself. I am in a really good place. At that point, I don't think I'd had depression for 15 years. Like, I'm good. And I've been coaching at that point, say, for, I don't know, seven years when I got asked to do this this, um, gig on on reality TV. And and at first, I wasn't even going to say yes. Like, it's not a TV show that I watched or anything like that. I nearly said no until my friend said no, you have to do it because you'll be good if somebody else does it. And I was like, oh, actually, you're right. Okay, I'll do it. So so, so the reason why I say it in that context is because it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't like I was striving to be on TV in a, in a coach scenario. I wasn't. It was offered. I reluctantly said yes for the fear of someone else doing it and getting the opportunity. But that night, I remember, after I'd said yes to the producer and the messaged me back to say, brilliant, we'll have a Zoom call tomorrow. I'll see what you're about because it only been my emails. And, and I'll tell you a little bit more about what we're looking for, right? So essentially he hasn't made his mind up on me, which is what that email said to me. He's going to be looking at what I'm like on camera, like, you know, whether I can articulate things, right? So me, so I go to bed that night and, and the anxiety washes over me. It comes back flooding. And it took me back to Jude at school. Little Jude who felt like she was thick. Like, what happens if you don't know what you're talking about? What happens if you go on TV and you don't look like you you know what you're talking about and everyone thinks you're thick? Like, essentially, that was what was coming back for me. Now, because I don't get this often, that wave coming over is... It was, it was a bit of a reflection moment of going, whoa, where's that come from? Like, and I could feel it and it was awful. And I just remember feeling like I wasn't good enough. And then I had to do my self-inquiry. It's a tool that I, it's part of my unbreakable mindset methodology. It's something that I teach my, my one, one client as well as what we teach in the academy. Self-inquiry. What is the stressful, anxious thought? My stressful, anxious thought was, I'm going to look thick. I'm not going to look like what I'm, I I won't, I won't know. I won't look like I know what I'm talking about Mm. Um, or that, that I'll not know what to say. So I had to work through all of this and start to go, right, well, is it, is it true or perceived? At that point it's perceived. I don't, you know, it's not true. I haven't been on TV yet. It's not being recorded. Yeah. Okay. So then you go deeper into that. Okay. Well, if it's perceived, what can I learn from this? What can I do to affect the outcome? Okay, well, I'm only at stage one. So the only outcome I can affect right now is that call with the producer, right? What am I really good at? Well, I'm really good at engaging with clients when they come to me asking for coaching, right? I know I'm also a really good coach. I get an amazing results with my clients. So the evidence that I have disproves my fear, right? So what do I need to pull on in my current blueprint to bring into the into the current day. Okay, well, I can get on that Zoom call with that producer and I can act like he's my client. 
So rather than me having a fear of him thinking I'm not good enough, you flip it around. And I want to know a bit more about whether this is right for me. So which is how I felt when I first got offered it. Like, is this right for me? And yet all of a sudden, my limiting beliefs come back up for my fear of not being good enough. So your muscle memory came back. Now, I wasn't expecting it to come back at this point. So you have to be aware of when you're being triggered. That's huge. Like exactly what you said at the start of like what comes up for people. Why do they get in their own way? Why do they not do or do certain things that sabotage it? It's because you're being triggered by something. Mm. But if you choose not to see what you're being triggered by, it'll just keep coming up and it's going to absolutely floor you in every way. If you have a trigger of, um, let's think, let's think that you, you'll never be successful because success never ran in your family. You know, if that's not what you came from, then you'll look for all the ways in which it won't happen for you. So mm-hmm. even when opportunities are coming along, you'll miss them because you think it's not for you. Because yeah. why would it be? I didn't come from success. Like that that couldn't happen to me or I'm not good enough. And you have to go on. You've, what's coming yeah. up for you as I'm talking? <laughs> no, it's really interesting, isn't it? So many things I'm just making notes. Well, first of all, I just want to point people to make sure they don't miss this framework because I think it's so powerful. So what is go the anxious it. triggering thought? Is it true or perceived? Step two. And then step three is really, can you find evidence to disprove that, Mm -hmm. to disprove that? And what is a Yaguda? I think that's such a beautiful framework. But yeah, I think so many things were coming up for me as you were speaking. Um, But it's interesting, isn't it? How I think it's interesting, this idea of the word trigger. I think sometimes, you know, this word trigger is interesting, isn't it? Um, Because sometimes this trigger could be a raw moment where there is an explosion, certainly from my perspective, I can share my experience. So the way I experience triggers, like, for example, my kids yesterday, I have two young boys, you know, seven, nine. And one thing that I find really difficult is like their homework. That's just, I don't, for no particular, and I know exactly the reason, but their homework creates such a body reaction in me when they don't do it, they don't do it quickly enough, when they make mistakes or when they're not putting in level of effort and hard work mm-hmm. it's just a huge trigger for me like almost on a body level I can really explode and then like mm-hmm. wow what's this you know this is just so out of reality completely disconnected to what's really happening mm-hmm. and when I was reflecting like that was a real trigger for me a lot of emotion body reaction there's a whole trigger of events for something simple as my child just decided that well you know I don't feel like doing homework tonight like mm-hmm. And actually looking back into my childhood, you know, that was, you know, I grew up in Siberia during communism time uh, and the schooling was very strict and I was a straight A student and, you know, God forbid I would get a B, like a B is, is like disaster. (laughs) Um, So actually, and I thought that was a lot of fear. That was so much fear in my childhood and my schooling associated with getting a bad grade not doing the work that's required and that fear was so deeply instilled now I'm kind of seeing it I'm not I'm projecting that fear I'm creating yeah. that fear in my children right now Yay. they don't have they go to beautiful private school <laughs> in London there's no fear whatsoever there but I am actually projecting it on that and that was just such a moment for me mm-hmm. I'm still obviously I'm just vulnerably sharing this I'm still navigating this as we speak but that's clearly mm-hmm. something that's just um, a very this is how this is an interesting trigger mm. 
Um, I love that because that happened with me and my daughter, actually, because obviously my trigger was depression in secondary school and feeling like I couldn't cope and feeling overwhelmed and I had a lot of time off in in year seven so when my daughter started secondary school I didn't realize how much I was projecting on that so I thought I was doing really well because you know one of one of my biggest pushes to become a coach was um was the need to be at home more with my daughter right? Because I thought she's coming into secondary school. Oh my God, that's where I struggled. Like, I don't want to have a job where I'm working away all the time. And when she was at primary school, I was very much working away, staying over a lot in London and, and things like that. So so my goal when she started school, I think when she was six, I think my goal was to become a coach. I'd had coaching. I knew the impact. I knew the power of it. I was like, I want to do what coaching did for me for one other person. So I had a real kind of pull factor but my push factor was I need to have something that allows me to be there for my child so already you've got a ton of energy and emotion that's that my daughter's got no um recognition of because she's just starting secondary school you know she's got other things to worry about like our mates and who she's friends with and you know is she going to get wrong for doing her homework wrong or you know like god they're cruel when you go up to secondary school like you know they're picking on her because she's got bushy eyebrows or you know at that point what I didn't know she was struggling with her sexuality as well like I didn't know any of this right so so my interpretation of what was going on in year seven was I'd ask it and bearing in mind I'd got her this beautiful desk um, we'd got like um, little poly pockets and labeled them all for each subject. There was a whiteboard in our room. This girl was set up for success, right? Like she's not going to struggle like I did. And she's set up and I've made it so easy for her to do her homework in a beautifully lit room and, and it's gorgeous. And and yet on a morning, every morning we'd argue because she couldn't find something. And I used to think, oh, and we and we just argue back and forward, like. And I had a baby at the time, so we. I was just trying to not let the baby kill itself while I was trying to get ready, so it doesn't throw itself down the stairs or whatever. Like, I'm just trying to get ready in the morning, and she's screaming up the stairs, "I can't find my art homework." And and then we'd argue about the fact that well, she should have packed her night that bag the night before, and and there was so much emotion around all of it. But my biggest fear when we were arguing about school was oh my God, she's going to struggle. And if she struggles, what is she going to be? Like, is she going to be an out of control teen? Like, why does she talk to me like this? I would never have spoke to my parents the way she speaks to me like this. And there was so much emotion. And and like you, you've got a ton of emotion around the kids' homework. But when you come back to it, for us, it was just lost homework. For you, it's the homework not being done on time. So if you take away your emotion and your ego and how and what's actually going on, for us, it was just, it was just last homework. Like, is she going to be organized at 11? Probably not. Even if I give her like a, uh, 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 there was a, there was a whole tick list of what she needed to pack on a night time. And it was, it was, um, what do you call it? Um, laminated so she could do a dry white mark and tick it off and then rub it and do it the next day. And there was so much that I'd done for her. And yet it was only when, um, I think the, the pandemic hit and you know you're just you're just trying to think of what you need to pack if you've got to leave the house with a mask and all that type of thing that actually 
she just came into her own. Like she never forgot her mask. She never forgot anything. She was so organized. And it was because I took my eye off her and I'd started doing me and started recognizing what I needed to do when I let her almost learn and feel. Like even now, like, you know, I was determined not to wake her up for college. I am not waking her up because actually when she stays at her dad's house, she manages to get up because he sleeps in. Like she has to wake him up. Yet in our house, I'm screaming at her five times to get up. You're going to be late. You're going to be late. You're going to be late. And then as soon as I flipped it, and this time just made a conscious effort of going, I'm not waiting you for college. Like if you're late, you're late. It's up to you. We don't get her up anymore. There is no arguments anymore because I'm letting her do it for herself. Now I'm not saying that's the solution every time for you to let your children fail at their homework for them to figure out that they need to do it. But there's always a solution. But if something's not working, we need to figure out why. Yeah. So you go back to, what, where's my emotions in this? Where am I coming from? What's their feelings? Because whatever you're feeling is probably the opposite of what someone else is feeling. So her concerns were not my concerns. My concerns were not her concerns. And yet when you come back to it, it was just her losing her homework. Yeah, I can help her lose the homework because when you panic and you lose something, you, you get frightened and frustrated. I can solve that as a parent. I can go downstairs. I can solve that really quickly and we can stop the arguments. And at a later date, I can then have a conversation around, you know, you could probably get a bit organized with that. Like think about ways you could get organized, get her to think for herself rather than me telling her how to be organized. Yeah. And there's a real difference. And, and, you know, we could look at the fact that actually, do you know what? you've done pretty well for yourself. Like let's, you know, maybe your education was perfect for you. Maybe the way you were brought up was perfect for you. But do you want that for your children? Do you want them to live in fear? Do you want them to be worried? You know, like I'm sure your journey to success and where you are now, you wish it'd been easier in some circumstances. Not, Not in reality, but mentally in your head. You know, what struggles did you have to overcome that was constant? You know, when does it come back and hit you? What do you not want to pass on to your kids? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so powerful. Absolutely. And it's it's so true. I mean, there's a few things that came up to me. It's interesting how sometimes it's like our behavior creates a reaction in that. Like, yeah. you know, like yeah. in a way I was controlling, like me being controlling and trying to do things actually takes the power off my children. Yeah. And after people where they say, well, actually, now I'm going to almost resist this control. I'm not going to do the homework because my mom is asking me to do. Yeah. So it's interesting how it's actually like reaction is like physics, anti-reactions. The more force mm. we put in, the more rejection that we get back that actually if mm. we just relax with it and say, well, well, maybe, maybe it's okay to not do your homework. What's what's the big deal about it? Maybe yeah. that's okay. And then what happens is maybe then the children actually... I want to get my homework done by myself without being told to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for them to almost see the consequence of it themselves as well. Like there will be a consequence at school that they're going to have. We'll let them learn from that, you know. And it's such a, the kids thing is such a fine balance because you don't want to be, you know, bringing up kids to just do whatever they want to do. But you also don't want to be so hard that you push them one way. And and I think with my daughter, um, she was kind of struggling with confidence, which every girl does, but she was also struggling with, you know, dyslexia again, not diagnosed because the school was awful in trying to diagnose that, I had to get private diagnosis with that. Even then there wasn't really much support. So 
she probably wasn't like me, the, the classic academic. I'm not classic academic. You know, if I'm interested in something, I'll figure it out. But otherwise, it just, it overwhelms me. It makes us feel uncomfortable. So as a mom, do I force her to do something she doesn't enjoy and 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 it be painful or do I allow her to find her own way in it? You know, and, you know, we'll figure out when she's 50 <laughs> whether I was right or wrong. <laughs> but it is important that, you know, I think that there is a reason why we're talking about this is actually a lot of our beliefs, our fears, our kind of this issues or blockages come from childhood and as we kind of especially as parents navigating the kind of and almost being afraid to impose some of the beliefs that we yeah. had on our children it becomes a really interesting journey mm. that we navigate because as you say you know everything kind of gets imprinted in our brain before the age of six years old yeah. um, and actually that's the thing that will show up those beliefs will show up like you know common beliefs that so many I know some of my women have is this money is money must be very hard to get mm. or I have to work extremely hard for the money for mm. success there must be a struggle and a hustle that's the only way you know and then we get told that when we growing up mm. or indeed this kind of about you're not smart enough you're not good enough you're not pretty mm. enough or maybe you are pretty but therefore you're not you're not you're not smart you know it can't have both yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's yeah. interesting how those things or sometimes it's like the one strength of the other uh, yeah. if, if someone is very, you know, I have my sister, um, so she was always very bright at school, was always getting really good grades. Yeah. Um, so certainly her strength was her smarts. Mm -hmm. But then when it came to her being feminine and being beautiful, she always had to, well, I'm smart. I'm a smart one. Like smarts are what my thing is. And therefore, you know, she almost made this judgment upon herself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually yeah, yeah. upon herself that maybe I'm not as good looking. Like other women could yeah. be good, but I'm smart. <laughs> so, and it's interesting how we just create those beliefs, isn't it? Which is yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. true. She's absolutely beautiful woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but she had this belief, and that showed up in her relationship. That showed up in her marriages. That showed up in many ways where she felt that she had to lead like a man. She had to bring the smarts in because that's only thing that she can bring to the table mm. Mm. um and i know for people listening that could be other things for example i know that people afraid of spotlight afraid of speaking opportunity mm. well actually there's some deep fear of being visible you know and it's interesting to unpack that to say well actually what's causing it it could yeah. be just even a some weird comment someone said well you know as a woman who are you to take mm -hmm. all the spotlight in the room? You know, I know it's one of my um, friends. That was certainly the case. It was a subconscious a throwaway comment that her dad did when she was young, saying something on the lines of, or the interpretation of that was. Yes. By her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Normally, it's an interpretation. Isn't it? And, that, and that's what I think. I'd love to dive deeper with you. It's actually so much of our experience is such an interpretation. Yeah. 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 So, for example, my dad. Um, who, God love him, is not is not the best at articulating anything. Like he's not the natural, like you know, chatty McChatty that I am. So if he bumped into anyone, you know, and we were with him, and, and we used to have weekends with Dad. Um, if he bumped into anyone, say we're in the supermarket, and, and you know, it would be very kind of like you know, just surface level chit chat. Oh, hi, Tony, how's the girls? 
And we were there, by the way, like nobody's asking us how we are. He's asking, you know, asking my dad, how's the girls? And he goes, oh, yeah, how well, are Andrea's doing really well. She's really good at our maths and our, and our English does ever so well. And our Jude, is good at art. My interpretation of that is I'm not even that good at art. And if that's all I'm good at, then I'm screwed. Because I didn't even believe I was good at art. And I probably wasn't, to be fair. I was good at copying something. If you put a picture of a house in front of us, I could uh, manipulate that house and copy it myself, you know? But I wasn't, I didn't have a creative mind. I knew if you put a blank piece of paper in front of me, I wouldn't be able to just, you know, create something on the page. I'd have to have something to have an interpretation. So in my head, I'm not very good. I don't, and I could also see that in other people, in, in my art class, there was other people better than me. So even the thing that I'm marginally good at, I'm still not good. So therefore, my interpretations were just constantly confirmed what band you're in at school, what set you're in at school. So therefore, what did I have? What was about me? Oh, actually, I'm really good at talking. Like, I'm good at getting boyfriends, you know? So that's what I did. I just had loads of boyfriends. I just had loads of friends. And probably very surface level as well, like, those but well which they are at those ages um but also friendships as well very serviceable I dotted around people because I didn't want them to find out the real me so I would just dot around loads of different groups of friends so I never had a total best friend for very long I tell for a short period of time and then I jumped to another best friend and and then you've got my sister who's the opposite of things so so where we never had conversations we used to just fight we never had conversations so where I'm thinking she's the smart one it's easy for her. She's crippled with social anxiety and, you know, has one friend throughout the whole of school and even now still struggles with social anxiety. So her fear would be walking into a room full of people and being able to navigate that. I'd love that. I'd love that. I love going in and meeting new people like yourself, like, you know, having, you know, deep, inspiring conversations with someone you've just met. I love that. My sister would hate that. She would hate having those conversations. It would make her feel very, very uncomfortable. Now, if she continues like that, it will always be uncomfortable for her. But if she chooses to go, do you know what? That's my area of growth, actually, to be able to go into a room and and navigate it the way my sister does. That's that's my area of growth. How do I do that? Okay, then she could start observing what conversations do people have that people are engaged in. You know, real simple things that some people find hard, but other people find really easy. Like what what is a, a classic conversation starter? Like I don't have to think about it because it's not a limit and belief for me. So it's very easy. But some people do find that really hard. So their belief is. I don't know, other people make friends more easily than I do. So what is their, what do they then do with that belief? They probably go into a room and they're so nervous about saying something that might sound stupid that they don't say anything. So therefore, how many friends did they make that night? Probably zero, because nobody even noticed they were there because they weren't talking to anyone. So they just come out of that event or evening going, well, what was the point in going to that? Like, nobody spoke to me. Well, but you didn't speak to anyone else either. <laughs> Like, you know, like it was your limit and belief, your thoughts, your actions, and then your results confirmed that limit and belief and you just stay stuck in the spiral. 
Yeah, so powerful. So let's dive deeper into it because I think now we've covered, for anyone listening, there's going to be certain beliefs. There's the beliefs that if you can identify, maybe they're connected with your triggers or maybe some things you forgot to question. Like mm -hmm. life is hard. Life has always been hard for my family. Life must mm -hmm. be hard for me. Money's hard to make. You know, yeah, I don't make yeah. friends easily. I'm not smart enough. And or whatever yeah. that is, now we get, we identify them. Great. Yeah. yeah. So now what's what is the journey of actually thinking about well I'm not I've identified I'm not happy I don't I want to eradicate that because I don't want that to be my reality what would be the journey for someone to explore and navigate that Okay um, there's probably two examples that I can give you so so the so that I'm not smart enough obviously that's an an easy one to navigate because that was my personal belief that wasn't conditioned it was something I decided to put on myself Now the only way I've been able to remove that limit and belief is by evidence, evidence stacking. So me going, like, like my business partner, for example, right? She just, her dreams and her goals go wild. Like she'll talk about numbers and targets and they're huge. Like my head doesn't go to that because when she goes that big, my head goes to all the problems and the things that I'm going to have to overcome to get there, Right. I don't work like that. I'll never work like that. So I have to say to her, okay, well, let us just do step one first, right? So I'll do step one. And as soon as I've done step one, I'm like, oh. I stepped outside my comfort zone a little bit. That felt good. I'm fine. I did it. I look back. I recognize that I've done it really well. I can move on to the next stages. Like, you know, my vision board, when I first started doing vision boards, was this huge grand thing that was you know what my friend had so like you know it might have been a, a seven bedroom house with a swimming pool it might have been uh, Louboutins it might have been um, a, a, a holiday home in Spain that was not my reality at that time I was a single parent I was struggling to pay the mortgage we were trying to sell the house that was not my reality so do you know how I felt about that vision board sick I felt like it wasn't right for me it wasn't what I could do so therefore my energy was totally off with that and whether you believe in law of attraction or not if your energy is off with your goals you will not do anything towards them yeah so what I had to do was for me personally scale it back and go what do I want for now what is what would be amazing if but feels relatively achievable of where I'm at and go and step and step and step and step and step and that's what works for me. So with I'm not smart enough, I can go, right, where's this triggering me now? And what work do I need to do on it? So I can do the self-inquiry piece that we talked about at the start. Now, when it comes to a, a belief of life is tough, that's just the way it is, or life is hard, they're not my beliefs. They were put on me. That's what my dad says. That's what my mom used to say. Like, they are not my beliefs. So if I ever start leaning into those, I need to question them. So, so say, for example, you know, a lot of those types of belief caused my depression because I used to just think, well, you know, life will never be amazing. Life will never be like, you know, life's just tough. That's just the way it is. I didn't have any of my concept of the world did not. There was, there was nothing that said to me, life is easy. There was nothing that said to me, you can have whatever you want, because do you know what? That was my reality. What I was told by my parents, what I was told by my grandparents, life is tough. It was for them. They came out of the war. They had social housing. Like, you know, it was tough for them. And that filtered down into my mum and dad. And they had limited dreams and goals and, and kept themselves more. So therefore, that's passed on to me. So I didn't believe there was any world outside of that. And also, I grew up in the era where 
you know, anyone listening fr- from the UK, there was four channels and you had Emma's early Stenders, Coronation, you had all the soaps, the dramas, nothing good ever happens in them. So that was my reality. That was my Kardashians. <laughs> that was yeah. my reality TV. Which Programming. Was drama. Yeah, these soaps where bad things happen to a character every six months because that's how a character stays in a soap. Bad storylines, storylines that will get a headline on a newspaper. That is what my evidence of life was. So I had to do a lot of work on realizing that wasn't true. And I think when you start to get into, which I think all of your listeners will be, realize that actually that's not truth. That was a that was an old narrative that was built on, you know, a, 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 the war or, or whatever the, the outcome was for your parents and your grandparents. It doesn't have to be our reality. And I think we're all very aware of that now because social media tells us there's a different life. There's a there is a Kardashian lifestyle or whatever. I'm not a big Kardashian fan, um, but but there's a different lifestyle that you can have. So we can see that it's possible. So what we have to start really connecting with is when does our old story come in? So say for example, I don't know. Um, I just paid a big bill in my business or whatever a tax bill. Or I've just paid off my credit card and then I get, um, uh, I don't know, somebody bumps my car uh, and I need to get that repaired. And then, um, you know, uh, there's a tread on my tires, go, I've got to buy new tires, right? All of those things that are unexpected that you have no control over, right? I remember years later, my mum had passed at this point and, um, and I was driving along and I was going to the tire place to get new tires because I was like I'd, I'd pulled up somewhere and noticed the tread on my tires was so thin and I was like damn it oh my god how have I been driving around in this now I've got to get two new tires or four new tires and I knew it was going to cost a good you know I don't know 600 800 pounds for these tires and I think I'd I think the the night before my daughter had um heated one of those um you know those heat cushions in the microwave and burnt it and burnt the microwave as well, right? And I was like, oh God, now I've got to buy a new microwave. And I'm sure there was something wrong with the washer, whatever, right? That, my mum's narrative came back to me, bad things happen in threes, just my bloody look. Like all of her narratives that she would say came straight back in. So not only am I going to, to get new tires, but I'm feeling bad about it. I am making the situation worse because I'm telling myself just my look. I knew this would happen to me. Like, and it, and it was almost like I caught myself having this narrative and I was like, whoa, these are my thoughts. That's not who I, what I think like anymore because that's my old thing and my old thing and causes anxiety, it causes depression. So I had to be really conscious of thought. And when you are mindful, you're mindful of the thoughts that you have, you can have power over them, right? So one you might need evidence. So coming back to your question, one, you might need evidence to start disproving the limiting belief. Number two, you might just be, need to be mindful of where your thoughts go and when they don't serve you. Yeah, because I could tell you, I don't know, 20 reasons in which my life is tough and how I've had a difficult, you know, time of it and, you know, different things, depression, eating disorders, whatever. But I could also tell you 10 amazing things that have happened in my life which one am I going to choose today? Mm. Which one am I going to choose? Because actually I can drive and and go to the the um, the, the tire place and have to get new tires and feel sorry for myself because I'm spending 800 pound. Or I can be thankful that I have 800 pound to buy new tires. Or I can be thankful that I've got a car. 
Exactly. You can choose your thought to serve you. Now, yeah. in those examples, that works. In other examples, you need evidence to start proving that or disproving that your limiting belief isn't true. Yeah, that's beautiful. And one of the things, uh, as, as you were speaking, what also remind me, one of the tools I've been using, actually, so you know, my story, uh, kind of growing up with all sorts of limiting beliefs that society yeah. puts, the school inputs in Siberia, yeah. doing communism. And then... Um, you know, really unraveling that and getting success. Um, one of the things that really worked for me was trying on a new belief. Mm. Because of my background, I started traveling, you know, at the age of 25, I already lived in five countries. I was traveling and I was experiencing people. And I was the most amazing thing I was experiencing is like, they look like me. They may be like me, but their way of thinking was so radically different. And I remember I started doing this exercise to say, what if I were just to try on their beliefs? I remember I was like working with someone who was just this incredible entrepreneur, very successful man, but he just had these beliefs that like money is easy to come in for him, yeah. to come to him. He just said, you just, it's just money. People love to pay him. Money just loves to come into him. And that was so different to what I had at the time. And I was like, what happens if I were to try it on? And I remember doing meditation. I was also working with a life coach at the mm. time. And I was just experiencing what would my life be? What would my, my body would feel like yeah. if I were just as as I would put at a dress or a suit if I were yeah. just to try on his set of beliefs for a day yeah. and that was such an incredible experience I started doing that more and more and more and that's been part of my routine just trying on what what it would feel like when you know people love to pay you or whether promotion mm -hmm. comes easily where you're doing this or where mm -hmm. this what does it feel like to you know when you're someone who just nourishes their body and like keeps where he's in a perfect shape and never put on any pound never has to worry about ever worry about extra weight what does it feel like to live their life that way I remember like spending time in that moment like really yeah. an hour half an hour a day just almost role-playing and that's mm -hmm. been the thing that I saw really biggest shifts because now mm -hmm. I'm like well I know what that feeling feels like mm -hmm. because there's one thing I can understand my mind but like my body and everything around me is still constrained but actually now I'm experiencing it I'm like wow I'm enjoying this this is fun yeah, 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 and then also started acting from that place like well yeah. now with that belief what does that mean and then a lot of kind of subconscious attraction started happening yes. as well opportunity would open up doors would open I would step through the doors and open the doors with confidence because I'm the kind of person that's already been in this room before in my mind I am comfortable love that. I remember my first like boardroom experience when I was the youngest and the only female across the world one of the largest boardroom tables but I was people were like amazed I can't believe you're so comfortable in that space I'm like but I of course I gave them kind of some some spiel but actually in my mind was well I've rehearsed it so long for so long this is this is the most comfortable place place on this planet <laughs> um, but yeah that was just something I wanted to offer to say well that's I don't know if it works for what's kind of the neuroscience behind it but it's just getting familiar right we're looking for that familiarity so something's so unfamiliar to us how can we get our body familiar with it so now it becomes a norm and then it's just your action we'll just have to match this reality yeah absolutely and I think so, so for, for me I can't I can't do I need evidence yeah like I can't just live in that but 
what I can do is get evidence from other people. So your guy would super inspire me. So as we start to look at what are his habits, what are his actions, what is his belief system? So I'd start to think about that. Um, but I love how you can do that. That's an amazing skill set to be able to literally just try on that code of what it would look like to be confident, of what it would look like if I didn't have this limited belief. And I think that absolutely will work. It just depends on what your what your behavior profile is. You know, my behavior profile is very much, I need evidence. I need stuff, tangible stuff that I can look at and be able to go, okay, well, it's possible. Yeah, like I can't, I'm not very good at that. Although I used to be very creative in my old role. I'm not very good at that imagination kind of, um, kind of pacing it out. But if I can see it in front of me, I can see it's possible. So therefore, my inspiration comes from that type of person. But equally, like like I said, with my business partner, she is very much blue sky thinking, which is brilliant because we work well mm. with each other. So I'll, you know, rein her in if she thinks we can turn it around in two months. And I'm like, right, hang on a minute. Like, I want this to be done because she's very much fly by the seat of her pants. I'll do it and then I'll mop it all up afterwards. And I'm like, no, like we're going to do this and we're going to do it properly. And I'm not going to do it four times. I'm going to do it properly from the start. And our personality types work really well together. But she absolutely can do that because her money mindset is beautiful. She Mm. just brings it in all the time. And she, you know, we we had similar backgrounds in a sense that we both didn't come from money. But her money mindset is very different to mine. And that's just how her brain works. So you've got to understand what inspires you and what triggers you and what, you know, where you get in your own way and what are going to be the best ways to get out of your own way. And it's different for everyone, but that's self-inquiry piece, looking into what are my thoughts and how are they serving me and what do I need to start start doing to switch them? Beautiful. I love it. Well, let's. I know you've got an amazing academy. I would love to tell tell us more about the academy. What kind of like students are in there? How can people oh, find do out? You know what? I love yes. it. It's got so many different people of from all backgrounds, all industries, all ages. Like you know, we've even got guys in there now, which I'm buzzing about. Like you know, my biggest thing is like men in mindset and mental health um so so to have people in there who are doing the work not just on themselves but also to become coaches and to coach other people and within the unbreakable mindset methodology what you're getting is not just a certification you're also getting a framework so you know exactly how to take your client from where they are to get them the transformational results and that i think is huge in terms of if you want referrals if you want people who shout about you you have to get them amazing results so getting yourself a certification that does that is really really key it's also accredited um so so there's a governing body who said and i've had to pass certain criteria, but also it means you're accredited as well so you know if the industry ever gets regulated then you are future proofed for that as well um if they want more training on that more understanding of what it's like to be a, if, if they're not already a life coach if they want more training on that how much you can earn what the unbreakable mindset methodology is if they visit my website you don't coach in and click on the unbreakable mindset academy there is free training available in there and it tells you everything you need to know all the different types of coaching you can do you know, all the different kind of um, the ways in which you can deliver coaching as well. 
Amazing. And we'll show we'll share all the links to that in their show notes so you guys Thank can you. check it out. And of course, you're on Instagram, so we'll leave uh, connections to that. And mm-hmm. you've got an amazing podcast, which I'm so excited to be on as well. Oh, yes. We're going to get you on as well. This hour has gone so quick, hasn't it? So like, quick. I like I've been talking to you for 10 minutes and it's been an hour. That's nuts. It's I'll have been to remember an... that for when you come on mine. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here today. I know there was so many insights, powerful examples some real life examples some vulnerable shares and stories which i know so many people will be benefiting from it thank you so much jude it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast Thank thank you